Hello, hello, Kristen here. Just wanted to let you know that this episode was recorded before the podcast name change. If you hear any old terminology, that's why. Thank you for listening. Hello, notable women. How is your day? I hope it's great. I hope it's fab. I hope it's full of joy and laughter. I'm having a fabulous day myself, and I'm super excited to bring you today's guest. But first, I just want to remind you that you get a free motivational audio from me when you go to thenotablewoman.com slash motivate me. Under four minutes, great mantras to help set your day off right. Now, today's guest is Gila Kurtz. And she is a seven-figure entrepreneur. She is the founder and co-owner of Dog Is Good. So y'all know I've got a big love for dogs. Got Bronte actually right next to me here while I do this little intro for you. So couldn't be happier to introduce her. I think you're going to love her story and her message, how she went from not growing up with dogs or having them at all to dog trainer to seven-figure business owner of Dog is Good, right? Like, what a story is that? So check it out. And at the very end, I'm going to give you a wonderful gift from Gila. So stick around to the end of the episode. I'll be back at the end to give you a gift and fill in any gaps. Welcome to the Notable Woman podcast. I could not be happier to introduce today's guest and fellow dog lover. She's a professional dog trainer who turned her love and passion for dogs into a successful seven-figure year business. She's authored the number one Amazon international best-selling book, Fur Covered Wisdom, A Dog Can Change the Way You See the World. And now she speaks to audiences and inspires people to fetch a life worth barking about by offering a new approach to living, working, and playing inspired by dog. I'm happy to introduce the founder and co-owner of Dog is Good, an award-winning lifestyle brand for dog lovers, Gila Kurtz. Hi, Gila. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so excited about everything you do, so I can't wait to dive into this. So tell me a little bit more about what do you love and what makes you tick? Oh, gosh. What do I love? I love the chance to wake up every day and just go do what I enjoy doing. And those are things that revolve around some personal self-care revolve around dogs, of course, and the chance to work with my team members. Those are things that make me tick. Also, actually, the opportunity to learn. I'm, I'm just a rabid learner. I just, I love reading and, and those kinds of things. Yeah, I think, so those are the key things that make me tick. Excellent. I can't wait to dive more into some of that. Now, I feel like we could not start this interview without talking a little bit about your own dogs. So how many yeah. have and what are their names? So in my lifetime, which is actually interesting because I never grew up with dogs. And in fact, 20 years ago, if you had told me that my world would not only revolve around dogs, but would be the source of how I would choose to live my life, I would have said, you're crazy. I never even had dogs and just wasn't even really that drawn to them as people are today. But there you have it. You know, things happen in your life and animals come into them for a reason and certainly provided me with the opportunity to take on a different journey in my life and bring me to the purpose that I now have today. 
So when I first launched my career in the pet industry as a dog trainer, I had a lab Dalmatian mix who I knew nothing about what to do, how to raise her, anything about that. She was the catalyst really into my world of dogs. Her name was Zoe. And then I had adopted a hound pointer spaniel mix named Sasha, who was the sweetest soul and the softest soul of all the dogs that I've ever had and uh, really brought me a lot of peace. And then we have Henry, the little Japanese chin, who is a character, just a complete character, cat-like behavior, just a clown, and actually a little aloof. The things that I learned from him actually have a lot to do with zen and peacefulness. I learned that from Sasha as well. But Henry kind of beats to his own drum, you know, doesn't really care what the other people around or maybe even what the other dogs are thinking. And so I kind of like his aloofness and air of confidence, if you will. And then the dog that shifted it all. I mean, I think all dog lovers probably have at least one dog in the course of their life that impacts them in a way so differently than any other dogs that they've had. It truly, truly is life changing. And that would be my yellow lab Bolo, which stands for Be On The Lookout. She is the subject matter of A Dog Can Change to See the World. And she really, I think I would say she kind of saved me and put me on a new path and a new direction and gave me hope and joy and purpose. And it's through her that I pretty much live and approach my life on a daily basis is through what I learned through her. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, I totally was going to ask if you grew up with dogs or started falling in love with them later. So that's really interesting. How did your dog first come into your life? So this is an interesting story. I desperately wanted a child and I wasn't getting that baby. And my husband, who's military, was stationed in Japan. So we were living in Japan. And one of the American families there on the Navy base had a dog who had puppies unexpectedly and wrote about it in the local paper, you know, giving away puppies. And I was like, oh, I just want to look at them. I bet they're so cute. And I went over and fell in love with this little pup, just loved it. And after my husband came in and saw the little puppy with me, of course, he had to go on and on about oh, it takes a lot of responsibility and having a dog, you got to feed it, you got to walk it. And I was looking at him like, John, I'm not 10. You know, I get it. I know this is a creature that needs care, <laughs> love, nurturing and care. But I just wanted something to love and nurture so badly. And so little Zoe came into my life. I knew nothing about dogs. I absolutely knew nothing about training her. But she was this little gift that came to me, literally wrapped in a red bow. The family brought her to my home at four weeks of age, which was way too early at the time since I've learned. And I raised her, I hand fed her, I carried her around in one of those little baby Bjorn things, like a little baby and tried to work on some training with her, but didn't really know what I was doing. And she just was my companion and <laughs> then became a source of contention in a way because she was such a wild pup. She was Dalmatian and a lab mix and they are so energetic and she had a total mind of her own. And because I hadn't really trained her, there would be days where we'd be at the dog park and want to leave. And she would just look at us like, yeah, I'm not ready to go. And would just play the I'm running away from you game. And it was just crazy. But she was the catalyst, actually, that got me into the dog training world. 
is because of her that I began to pursue that industry. And there you have it. So that's how I got my first dog. And I since learned, you know, what to do and what not to do, obviously, in raising a pup. But it was great lesson learning through her. That is an amazing story. I grew up with labs, so I can attest to their energetic natures. Absolutely. Although and haven't spent a lot of time around Dalmatians, so I can't imagine what the combination would be like. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, but I look back on it and I'm so grateful for, you know, I had to be patient. She taught me patience. She taught me that I needed to step up and show up as a leader, you know? So there were a lot of lessons there as I look back on that. And I'm grateful for not knowing what I was doing and having to show up in a way that forced me to learn what I needed to do and how I needed to be. That is amazing. So that leads me to, how did you turn all of this love and passion for dogs into a seven-figure-a-year business? Okay, so that did not start off right from the get-go. With Zoe, the Dalmatian Lab, I actually had had another business. I've always been very entrepreneurial. So coming back from Japan and living in the States, John and I started a gourmet coffee vending business. And I placed these machines around the metropolitan D.C. area and would go to service them during the week and take Zoe with me. And her reward at the end was to go to the dog park. And at the dog park one day, I noticed a gentleman with many dogs walking in. And I was quite fascinated by that as I never had seen anybody with that many dogs just asked him, like, wow, that's crazy. I've never seen somebody with so many dogs. And he said, I said, are they all yours? And he said, no, I'm a professional dog walker. Well, this is, you know, over 16 years ago, and I had never heard of that as a profession. And as it turned out, he was making over six figures a year, just hanging out with dogs and playing. And I thought, what a great opportunity. So I determined that that would be my next career. That is what I would do when the Navy chose to uproot us again and move us to a new location. And when we moved to Florida, I thought I would pursue that. But where we were stationed in the panhandle of Florida, the need for dog walkers was not as great as it was certainly in the metropolitan D.C. area where people just aren't home many hours a day. And at that point, though, I really had fallen in love with dogs. and yet. I also had a love for teaching people. That's really one of my very first passions as a seven-year-old wanting to be a teacher. And that was a career that I did pursue prior to getting married. I was a high school teacher. So I saw the opportunity to work with dogs and work with people again in a teaching capacity by becoming a trainer. And that's what I did. So over the couple of years in growing my dog training business, having to start it up and rebuild it every time the Navy moved us. I gained a greater appreciation for what dogs were bringing to the families, how people shifted when they were around dogs. I became very observant of that. And it was when I was attending a continuing education conference, I was at a exhibitor's booth. So at the conference, there were vendors and whatnot. And this particular vendor had t-shirts there that said, I love my, and then you fill in the blank, whatever your dog was. And I remember standing there for a while thinking, gosh, I really do love my Dalmatian, but I don't just love her. Like there's something deeper than that. And I want a way to express that. By the way, I would probably never even sleep in this white, boring t-shirt thing that you have hanging here with this big picture of a Dalmatian on it. So I casually said something to my husband like, oh, I wish there was something that was a little bit more stylish, but expressed my love of dogs on a deeper level, more personally than just, oh, I love my whatever. 
And he just said, well, why don't you just create it? And so I thought, well, maybe I should. And as we started reviewing the pet industry, we saw, hey, there is nothing in the marketplace. It's really for the pet lover. I mean, at the time, the pet industry was beginning the upsurge in their huge boon. And you know, it's it's over a $60 billion industry at this point. But there really was nothing that focused on the human at the other end of the leash. It was all about the pet. And so we decided that we would create a brand that revolved around the celebration of that unique relationship that people have with their dogs and the positive impact that each have on the other. And we would do that by creating products for them and that those products would ultimately transcend across various product categories. So we started with something easy and simple to test, and that would be apparel, hats and t-shirts and hoodies, those kinds of things. And as we tested through local events, direct to consumer, we began to see what messages were resonating and how to fine tune those to where they really were hitting at the heartstrings of who these people were as dog lovers. And over the years, as we continue to grow the business and expand the product categories, when people ask me, like, what is your secret sauce, if you will, I would have to say it's that. It's our messaging. It's our ability to speak to who that dog lover is as a person and reach them on a very deep emotional level, whether it's touching the humor of what it means to be a dog owner, dog lover, or what it means at a very deep-centered, heart-centered component in how these dogs actually are affecting and shifting our worlds. And through that, we built it on three pillars. So wholesale, where we manufacture and sell directly to retailers all over the country. And then we have our online e-commerce through dogisgood.com, where consumers can then purchase products directly from us. And we have a program where consumers can also purchase directly from certified exhibitors. These are people who set up at events, specifically Dog is Good booths. And then we license the brand as well to other manufacturers who put the messages and designs because they're so powerful and they do sell on their own products. So that's really how we built it from idea. What can I do to celebrate my relationship with dogs and to where it is now, which is continually growing and evolving company. That is amazing. And I think that that's so, so smart and so innovative because I think that's how we identify ourselves. If someone asks me about me, I always say, you know, I live in New York City. I identify with that. I'm a mother. I identify with that. And I have a pet menagerie, you know, cats and dogs. Like That's a big part of it. So what a smart way to do it. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Now, I also love, I'm a big lover, by the way. I love the title (laughs) of your book. Your Fur Covered Wisdom. That is such an awesome, well, first of all, an awesome title, but I'd love to hear the process about how that book got brought out into the world. Well, the book is a year-long journey of self-discovery through the eyes of dog, and the story behind it really begins when Bolo Yellow Lab came into my life. To build a business from an idea to seven figures is no easy feat, especially because we started it right at the beginning of the recession back in 2007 was when we came up with the idea and really started taking action on it in 2008. So here we were with a product that no one needed for sure, but yet the company continued to grow and double in size year over year. And to make that happen, I started working all the time, right? And kind of prided myself on the fact that 
I was constantly working. Oh, I can't do that. I'm so busy. Oh my gosh. You know, I have no time for my friends anymore and I can't go to that party. I gotta, I gotta do a show. I gotta be out on the weekends and selling. And you know, my life was constantly wrapped up in the business. And as the business continued to snowball in growth, I felt like that kid that was kind of running behind the snowball that you just pushed down the hill, trying to catch up. And the more successful it became, the more deeply ingrained I became in my pursuit of what I thought would be success. And at the point where Bolo came into my life was because a company reached out, Leader Dogs for the Blind, actually, a phenomenal organization. I just love them and their mission. They out of Michigan and they asked if Dog is Good would consider being a sponsor. And I asked what that involved. And they shared with me how people raise puppies and some companies just donate money to name the puppy and that kind of thing. And I thought, you know, my gosh, I'm a dog trainer. I could totally take that puppy on. Like, how about I take it and we raise it and we create all this awareness for you and I'll do this publicly. And I just thought, no problem. But a few months into it kind of sent me on a spiral downward. People can only take on so much. And when you're a perfectionist, you overdo it. And I was doing everything and working constantly and putting a lot of self-imposed stress on me as a person and how I perceived others might perceive me if I didn't do the very best in everything that I was working on. And that's a very unfortunate mindset to have because you cannot win when you think that way. And it was around four months into her training with me that a friend called and needed to talk to me. And I was so befuddled with working with this puppy publicly, who was having a moment, if you will, (laughs) wasn't cooperating as many four-month-old puppies do. And in any normal situation, it wouldn't have been a big deal, but oh my gosh, I have to work for this organization. So it goes on to do what it needs to do to help somebody else. And I kind of blew my friend off. I was like, I just can't talk to you right now. And two minutes later, I literally just sat down and bawled. I just broke down. It was the first moment that I had actually let it, everything overcome me. And in that moment, once I just started, you know how the flood just starts happening and you can't stop? That's what was going on. And I did that very privately because I was so consumed by maintaining what I thought I needed to look like publicly. That makes sense. And that, again, created a very, very difficult way to live because it took so much energy to be what I thought was perfect or attempt to be perfect, if you will. And then to come home and go up into my room and just sit on the floor and cry for hours and just not want to get up in the morning. So one day Bolo had gone back to the organization and our hope was that she would get assigned to a person, go through their training and get assigned to a person. I finally felt great about that, that I had done something at least that was contributing outside of myself. And that was very important to me. But then one day I called them, they were career chaining her, which is very common. About 50% of them don't make it all the way through for various reasons. And her reason was she didn't want to get out of the kennel to work. And they asked if I would take her back, which of course I would, but there was something very abnormal perverse type thinking, if you will, where although she was being career changed, what I heard on mine was, thank you so much, but you failed. And that was it. Like I just lost it again. And at that moment, after bringing her back, I had 
really spiraled into what was a very, very, very deep depression. And it was very lonely because I couldn't let anybody know, or I didn't want to let anybody know what was going on with me. So physically, I was losing weight. I attempted to appear happy on the outside, but I was broken. I literally felt like I had been broken. And when she came back, I remember sitting on my bed one day and she wakes up full body wag. It's as though she says every morning, like, oh, it's a day again. It's a new day. Come on, let's take it on. I'm so excited. And just her whole body posturing and her full body wag and just the enthusiasm by which she welcomes the new day was phenomenal to me. And I just thought, oh my gosh, if I could just be like that, like for a day or for a week or whatever, I know my life would be so different. And I thought about that thought that had just flashed through my mind and said, hey, wait a minute, I can do that. Why don't I just be like Bolo and just start being like her? And so that was a personal choice, a decision in the moment that I had to shift who I was and how I was being and how I was thinking and how I was treating myself in order to pursue happiness, if you will, to get back to a place where I kind of knew who I was again. And that's what I did. I went on that year-long journey really watching her and noting behaviors and taking those anecdotal lessons and trying to apply them to myself. And I believe it is always a work in progress, but that progress is means you're moving forward. And I'm very consciously aware and life has shifted for me in how I show up, in what my attitude is, in what I choose to do and engage with, in how I choose to work. And yet my business and things continue to blossom even with the shift. So that's how the book came to be, really looking at those anecdotal lessons through Bolo, through that lab, and making a disciplined and purposeful choice to implement what I was learning through her to make those shifts and to make those changes. And it definitely is a big shift in the past couple of years, for sure. That is awesome. A gift for every dog lover, I imagine. I'll definitely put that in the show notes so people can check that out. Now, I imagine, although of course I'm not sure, but I imagine that the book sort of led to your speaking engagements. And I absolutely love your talk topics, especially making time for play. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, about making time for play and how it's important for us humans too? Yeah. So one of the things that I find really interesting is how caught up we are in everyday activities. And it's not just me. I mean, I do not think that I'm unique in this at all. I feel like so many women that I'm encountering are always rushing and going, serving others, their children, their families, their friends, the volunteer activities that they're committed to. They're just going and going and going. And as we all know, technology is supposed to make life easier, and it often does, but it also creates this perpetual treadmill, if you will, where you can't escape it. You actually have to pan it in. And where I really started seeing a shift for myself was when I would take Bolo to the dog beach where she would play and just watch her relish in just the pure joy of catching balls and the waves and body surfing into the shore. And the more I would interact with her in those capacities and force myself to get away from work, the more relaxed I suddenly became. And the more I started to find a way to smile again and actually to laugh, because quite honestly, I feel like I had forgotten how to laugh. It's always so serious. And so the importance of play is to me as important as moments of meditation and quiet, thoughtful 
mindful being, if you will. When you're playing, you're allowing yourself to just kind of go back in time to maybe when you're a child or when you don't have responsibilities, parts of your brain. And obviously, if you're laughing and having fun, you're stimulating those chemicals that help keep us up and happy. And by doing so, you fill your cup back up, if you will. You create that space where you can then be way more effective. So I find that by incorporating play, actually get more done and then more creative and make a greater impact because I've allowed myself the opportunity to just go have some fun and just go do some different things. Awesome. I love that. I think that that's really important. And I relish the times that I get to play. And because my background's in the theater, my husband and I are pretty playful normally, but having a tiny human and also, um, you know, two cats and a dog, we do a lot of play. Yeah. Here. And so if you I look totally at agree. your dog as the example, and this is where I really see this, when they don't get the chance to play, they start getting anxious. That's when those dogs get into trouble. They're bored. They're looking for something to do. They're looking for an outlet. And when you give them the chance to play, whether that's playing in the house with you or out at a park or out at the beach or just out in front or in a yard, when they're engaged, you see a shift in their eyes. You see a shift in their persona. You see that beautiful little doggy smile that they give you. And then they're happy and they're content. And then they want to relax and lay down, you know, and chill. And those needs have been met. And I think that we as humans have those very, very same basic needs. We need to go back to those days where, you know, it takes our parents calling us indoors because we've lost sense of times. We're so involved in play and having fun. We forget what that's like as adults. Here, here, I 100% agree. <laughs> now, what would you say is the biggest assumption that people make about you? Mm, that's a great question because I've recently kind of had some experiences with this. I think the biggest assumption that people make of me is that my life is perfect. And I really wish they didn't make that assumption because it's absolutely not. There is no such thing as perfect moments. There might be a perfect accomplishment with a particular task, like, oh, that design turned out perfect. Or on a personal level, like, oh, I ran and hit the time that I wanted to hit. That was, to me, that was a perfect hit of a target goal that I had set, let's say. But overall, to look at someone and think everything's perfect, everybody has a story. And because we all feel compelled as humans to project the best version of ourselves, and so that's what we do. We never want to be vulnerable. So whenever I'm viewing other people, I always remember that what they're showing me is their best version of themselves and that it's also probable that there's other sides that they're not sharing, which I can totally relate to because I've been there too. And that helps to make me feel more human. My hope is that people, women, other people that want to mentor with me or things like that would see me as somebody that is approachable and not perfect. And to use those imperfections as learning opportunities and it, as a way to dig deeper to find out what we need to do to shift, to course correct, in order to get to that ultimate goal that we all have, which is achieve our greater purpose. And all of us seek that in life. Absolutely. Now, what would be an, a takeaway you'd want people to get from this podcast episode? I think the biggest takeaway I would like people to have is that on any given day, we wake up and we get to decide. We're going to decide what this day is going to be like. And that is something I do every morning in part of my morning routine, which I firmly believe in that people 
who have established routines that set an intention for the day and ending the day having accomplished most of those things. What I mean by that is in my journal, after visualizing things that I want to grow into, who I want to become, the life I want to live, the impacts that I want to make, I always write what I'm grateful for. And then after uh, some deep thought on gratitude of all that is good in my life, I write out this statement, today is one day in my life. And once it is over, it's gone forever. I will never get it back. So how am I going to be? And then I write down three things, whether it's I will add value to someone's life today. I will smile at everyone. I will be focused at my office. You know, it could be simple things like that, but that we all have a choice to write out what our day will be like. And those days turn into weeks, those weeks turn into months, those months turn into years. And we live those intentionally as opposed to reacting or just existing where each morning turns to night, turns to morning, turns to night. We're not being the active participant in that, that we have choice. That's amazing. Beautiful sentiment. I love that. Thank you. Now, this is always one of my favorite questions as a book lover. Do you have a book or several that you would love to recommend to the Notable Woman audience? Yes. Well, I have several because, as I mentioned early on, I am a rabid um, learner. I just love to read. I'm voracious about books and learning. And I often vacillate between things that work on my mindset and personal growth and then things that also will affect how I operate and how I grow my business. So one of my favorite books of all time right now is Essentialism by Greg McEwen. I think that is a really compelling book for all of us who are constantly on the go trying to fit everything in. And I highly recommend that one. I'm a believer in Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich um, as, as a core mindset book for personal and really business development as well. Of course, I'm going to recommend Fur Covered Wisdom, A Dog Can Change the Way You See the World. That's a great book. And then I just finished recently a book called The Giver. It's a really easy read because it's written in fable format. So almost like a story as opposed to, you know, technical information. That is an excellent book, an excellent guideline on just how to be as a human in everything that we do. And then lastly, I also finished a book called The Habit. Really fascinating read on how we develop the habits that we exist with and how we can shift those and implement new habits that will better serve us so that we can better serve others around us. Amazing. I should have known you would do like go all the way, like five books. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm super excited. I actually just gave college student that I work with and I just gave her Think and Grow Rich for Christmas. I said, this is starting you off right. You got to read this first. So great, great. I know. I feel that way myself. I'm like, if I could just have this whole book reading library, but starting with something like Think and Grow Rich for all the 20 somethings out there that even the teenagers, you know, I wish I had access to these things when I was their age. I think things would be different. I agree. I agree. I didn't come across them until much later myself. Now I would love, and I'm sure everyone else would love to be able to get in touch with you. So where are you on the great big online world? 
Yeah, thank you. So everybody can reach me by going to dogisgood.com. I'm on the website there, but my direct email is gila, G-I-L-A, at dogisgood.com. And that's the easiest way to reach me. And I invite everybody as well to go check out. If you're a dog lover, I guarantee you are going to want to spend some time on the Dog Is Good website. I know that there's just some phenomenal things on there that really will resonate on a very deep level for each person who has a dog or people who know others where dogs are very important in their life. So that's a lot of fun as well. Awesome. I need to find a birthday present for my little sister. So I'll be heading over there. She is a proud mama to a Sheba in you. Well, lady, Gila, it's been fabulous. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you. I'm so humbled and honored, actually, and really grateful for the chance to talk to you and hopefully touch someone in your audience. I am absolutely sure you will. Are you madly in love with Gila? Because I am. I totally am. Dog lover, book lover five book recommendations. It doesn't get much better, folks. Really, really and truly. So what is your gift? I'm sure you're wondering. So Gila has very kindly offered the Notable Woman audience a coupon. $10 off $25 or more. Dogisgood.com. So if you have a dog lover in your life, you are a dog lover, head on over there. Get yourself something nice. The code is NOTABLE17. NOTABLE17. That's going to get you $10 off, 25 or more at dogisgood.com. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I certainly did. I will check you again next week. Bye for now.